Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Haven Baptist Church. Uh, I uh, do appreciate your faithfulness. It's been, uh, 2020 was uh, quite a year, wasn't it? You know, uh, in 2020, there was a lot of talk in a lot of Christian circles about the Lord's return. Do you, are you, am I right? Well, so why do you suppose that was? Okay, let me start over. So, it is okay to participate. Okay? It is just fine to participate. So, so why do you think uh, so why do you think there was a lot of talk about the second coming in 2020? Pandemic. Pandemic. There you go. That was one big thing. Uh, our whole culture, our society became a mess uh, for a dozen different reasons. But when things get, when things get difficult, uh, we begin to think about the Lord's return. That's, that's sort of a Christian response, all right? Because we know that in the last days, Paul said perilous times will come. We know that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 that in the last days, uh, they'll lock Christians up and uh, so many bad things are predicted and, and we know that they're going to come true because the scripture says they're going to come true. But this morning I'd like to speak to you about kingdom living uh, in the last days, in the end times. How are we supposed to live in light of the fact that Jesus may return? So I invite you to turn in your scripture to First uh, Peter chapter 4 and find verse 7. We'll be reading 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. <clears throat> and God's word reads like this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of, the, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And may I say the last song that we sang, and all the songs that we sang today were very appropriate for this message, but the last song that we sang was especially appropriate, appropriate because God is beautiful and it, is, it's, it should be our duty and it should be our honor and it should be our privilege in our mindset to bring honor and glory to him who is worthy. In fact, that's what the, uh, that's what the angels, that's what the uh, elect are going to say around the throne of God there in uh, the Revelation chapter 5. To him be glory and honor and power forever. So even in this, for, even in 1 Peter 4, 11, there's a beautiful doxology bringing glory to God because of the things that we just read. Uh, that, the, that the end of all things is at hand. And because we are to do all that we do to his glory. Now, now let me ask you, does it, does it strike you funny? Is it okay that I move over here? Okay, so I'm, it's hard for me to stand in one place. 
Does it strike you peculiar that Peter says the end of all things is at hand and 2,000 years have now elapsed since he said that? Sometimes that strikes us a little peculiar. Let me reiterate, it's okay to participate here. Even nodding your head is participating. But here's the thing. I don't think, I don't think that Peter was mistaken. I don't think Peter was mistaken when he said that the end of all things is at hand. Because within a year or so, Peter is going to be crucified upside down in Rome. But what I really believe, now the the Greek of what Peter said here is a little tricky, so I'm not even going to try to work through that. That would be a waste of valuable time. And I've only got like an hour and a half left to preach. (laughs) Yeah, So, 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 so what did Peter mean? Why, was Peter, why would Peter say the end of all things? I, I honestly believe and think with me, and if you disagree, it's, it's okay. I think that Peter was doing what Peter and James and John and Paul and Jesus taught us to do. And that is to be looking for his return. That is something that is true for every saint of every age. We are to be, because, why is that? Because it's our glorious hope. Just between you, I I don't want to live here forever. I'm 65 years old. I know some of you say, well, I'm just a lad. But honestly, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm I'm tired of all the stuff that goes on in this world. And yet we are called to endure and we're called to be faithful and we're called to bring glory to God in everything that we do. Just by, for example, uh, Hebrews 1, 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Even the writer of Hebrews, whom we're not sure who it is, though I'm kind of sure who it is, and you're probably sure too, and doesn't really matter. But he was looking for the second coming. He was looking for Christ's return. Paul, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, so we know the context of this, he goes on and he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will uh, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. That's a that's a reoccurring statement when the apostles are writing about the second coming. Be sober-minded. Why? Because it's a sober event. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and listen to this, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. 
But he writes that to us here at Haven Baptist Church this morning. To all who love his appearing. Those who have loved his appearing over the last 2,000 years. And those who will, if the Lord tarries, love his appearing for the next. Who knows? Now in every generation, we are to anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. Can can I just read you something else that Peter said about the return? And, And let me say this. Every time... Every time that you read in Scripture about the second coming, there is connected to that Christian conduct. Did you read what he said? Do you read what Paul said? You remember what Paul said here to Timothy? He said, talking about the appearing of his kingdom. Then he started, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and, and teaching. And then he went on, and I'm not going to read the passage again, but he gave, he gave Timothy a list of things to do in light of the fact that we're living in the last days. So when we read Peter's account, he says, but in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and, the heavens, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed Here's Peter's Peter's admonition. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? There's the question about our conduct. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Now I'm not going to just read every verse in the scripture but let me give you just one or two more and I'll, I'll cut these down John said in 1st John chapter 3 beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is amen to that and here's his admonition and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. An admonition to godly living. And one more, and I'll I will uh, and then I will stop on these. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Here it is. Waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we start, when we begin to talk about, when we begin to talk about the second coming and Christ's return, and and I'm not even going to, you know, this morning, are you premillennial? Are you amillennial? Are you postmillennial? Had someone say that they were pan-millennial. We just know it's all going to pan out. And, and I, but, but my favorite, but my favorite uh, is pro-millennial. Because we're not really sure, but I'm for it. When Jesus comes back, however he does it, I'm good with it. I am pro-millennial, all right? So, and I hope you can understand that with all the debate of how he's coming back, when he's coming back, the millennial kingdom and, and all of that. But the point of the morning's message is, we know that he is coming back. 
we, and we know that that should affect our conduct as Christians. Amen? So, though the event of the second coming is not predictable, it may not happen for another, let's just, for, for fun, say another millennia, another thousand years. Maybe it won't. Uh, we're still to look for him. It is still to affect our conduct. And based on the text this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 4, let me give you just a couple of things that I think should, should, uh, should help us in living kingdom life until Jesus comes. Um, first of all, the anticipation of the second coming should fill us with joy and hope. Amen. Now, if, it, if the second coming fills your heart with fear, then one of two things are true. Either you know he's coming and you're not prepared. In other words, you're not a, you're not a Christian. Or you know he's coming and it scares you because you don't know if he's going to take you. The first one, you need to repent and believe the gospel, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if you're just but if you're confused and if you're afraid and you, you think maybe I'm not going, maybe I'm not ready, you need to do some you need to do a little more study because that's not how that's gonna happen. Because when when Jesus returns, not only are we gonna see him as John said, not are we gonna see him as glorious, we will be glorious with him. We are our sins as Christians are forgiven. Jesus died to pay for our sins. Do you think we're going to pay for them at judgment? That's a bit of an insult, I think, to the substitutionary death. Now, that doesn't give us license at all. If you take that as license to sin, then you're certainly not familiar with the Scripture at all. But because Christ has forgiven us, we are to live purely, as John said. We are to preach the gospel, as Paul said to Timothy. We are to be holy in light of the fact, anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ. James says it this way. Can I, can I marry two verses? I'd like to marry James 4.14 and Romans 8.18. It says, when you do that, it reads like this. For what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes away. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now that needs to... that that. That should solicit at least one amen. Because what, what James is saying is, compared to eternity, this life is a flash in the pan. And what Paul is saying, that despite the fact that this world produces hardship naturally for Christians, the hardship we endure. Now I want to say, 2020 was legit hardship. It was hard. But despite whatever hardship, it is not worth comparing Amen. to the glory that will be revealed in us. If that doesn't give you hope and joy, you didn't get much sleep last night. That's, that's just amazing. The second thing, anticipation of the second coming gives us motivation to endure the hardships of this life. I just said that. 
But that's what Paul said in Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. That's good news. That's good news. You know, I don't, I don't know about Haven Baptist Church, but I know at First Bible Church over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of people going to be with the Lord. Some from sickness. Uh, some from accidents. There was a, a deacon at First Bible Church last year. Uh, I'm sorry, a friend of mine that went to uh, a Presbyterian church, Briarwood in, in uh, Birmingham. He'd been over to tie his shoes and died from a heart attack. There was a deacon at First Bible Church that, went, that was getting ready to go for a run. He died of a heart attack. He was getting ready to go for a run. He's in better shape than I am. And it was his time. And the Lord called him home. And COVID has, COVID has expedited people's home going. But you know what? If we understand, if we understand eternity, then we understand it's okay. It hurts here in this life. But it's going to be good. It's going to be good in the next. Amen. It's going to be great when we see Jesus. And the third... The anticipation of the second coming keeps us focused on the urgency of evangelism. You know, there are folks that need to hear the gospel. Uh, I appreciate it again. I appreciate the music this morning. One, one, one verse in, in the, the, I think it was the second song. It said that uh, we, are, we are still, and I'm going to mess the words up, but here's the essence of it. We are still seeking those God came to save. That should be our pursuit. That should be our pursuit in light of the second coming. Because I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus comes back, it's done. It's done. So, so we need to, uh, as Paul admonishes us, to work while it's day. Work while it's light. Uh, fourth, the anticipation of the second coming keeps us reminded that when it does happen, we will give an account of our stewardship and that will mean either reward or loss. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that is the judgment of the believer. Nobody goes to hell at that judgment, but we can suffer loss or we can have gain. And what our gain will be gold, silver, precious stones, things that you build a temple out of. Our loss will be wood, hay, and stubble, those things that are useless. So the deeds that we do are either going to be Gold and silver and precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble. Now, I don't know about you. I really don't want my works to be burned up. Because when I see Jesus, I want a reward. Does that sound selfish? I hope it doesn't sound selfish because we're told to seek these rewards. The, the crown of righteousness. The, 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 all, there are five different crowns that the Bible talks about. Us winning as we run this race with patience. So number five, I want you to answer. Why else? Remember participation, it's a good thing. Why else would we anticipate with joy the coming of Jesus? Amen. Just to see him. Just to see him. Just to see him, as First John says, as he is. Amen. Amen.
Well, from this passage, uh, we want to look at some things that, uh, that Peter has, has told us to do. Uh, in the light of the fact that Jesus is returning, we, as we anticipate the second coming, first of all, he tells us to be serious about prayer. Be serious. He says, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now that's not a new theme for Peter. Because all the way back in chapter 1, he writes starting in verse 13. Therefore preparing your minds for action, there's that be sober-minded. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's the second coming. As obedient children doing what we're supposed to do... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what what does Peter mean by be uh, sober-minded, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers? What does he mean by that? Well, it seems to me, it seems fairly clear that Peter is exhorting his audience and us to have a seriousness uh, in our self-control and our thinking so that we can have a seriousness in our prayer life. You know, far too many Christians, far too, and I didn't come here to rebuke you, I came here to encourage you, but I just want to say far too many Christians neglect the privilege that we have of prayer. You know that prayer is absolute, it's a responsibility, sure it is. But it's a privilege. Do you know when Jesus died, according to the book of Hebrews, He opened up the throne room of grace. Because He is a high priest for us, He opened up the throne room of grace. And then the writer of Hebrews says to come boldly there to find help in time of need. So why do we neglect prayer? God is, God wants us to pray. God wants us to seek His face. It pleases God to answer prayer. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an obligation. It's not, oh, here they come again. What do they want? No, it's not that kind of thing. God loves to reward His children and not just reward, supply for His children and give hope to His children. But He wants us to pray for it because what did Jesus say? He said, he knows what we have need of. Who can finish that? Before we ask. He knows, but he wants us to ask. So why do we neglect prayer? Well, Peter says we need to be self-controlled, which means disciplined. And we need to be sober-minded because prayer is important business. Prayer is a sober business. And, and I want to tell you, I, you guys know what I do? I am a biblical counselor. So I counsel folks who are married, folks who have kids, folks who are not married, and folks who don't have kids, and folks who have life-dominating sins, folks who are struggling with depression. I, I get to talk to a lot of people. Now, if I sound like I'm complaining, I am not. I rejoice in the fact that God brings those folks for me to share, and all I do is share God's word with them, okay? I got no, in fact, I'll tell them, I got nothing for you, okay? But I'm going to tell you what God says. But it's amazing how much, how much prayer affects people. Uh, when we pray, 
When I tell someone I'll pray for them, or when I do pray for them, they're encouraged. You know why? Because they really do believe somehow that God answers prayer. And He does. I think prayer has more to do with biblical counseling than the biblical counselor. I think prayer has to do more to do with raising our kids than parenting. I think prayer has more to do with evangelism than our ability to uh, share the gospel. Because it's God that saves anyway, right? Uh, I, I've been preaching the gospel now for 40 years. No, more than that, but it doesn't matter. And I can honestly tell you, I have never been able to persuade someone to become a Christian. If someone has become a Christian, and I've seen a lot of people come to Jesus, it has always been because God empowered His Word. It has never been because of my eloquence. I can guarantee you that. You know, most prayer lists, Peter says to be sober for the sake of our prayers. You know, most prayer lists, I'm sure yours is not, I'm sure yours is not like this at all, okay? But a lot of prayer lists, you know, start out something like, well, Mima stubbed her toe Tuesday and we're praying that God will straighten that thing out, you know, or so-and-so's got a cold, or so-and-so just had a stomach bug, or are those things unimportant? No. They're not unimportant. But do you think that those are the primary things that the Scripture tells us to pray for? I don't think so. It's not wrong to pray for that. But how many people, how many lost people are on your prayer list? How many, how many saints that have been overtaken in a life-dominating sin do you pray for? How many missionaries do we pray for faithfully and regularly? We need to be sober-minded and disciplined in our prayer life. I think that's Peter's first point. As we anticipate the second coming, the second thing he tells us is to practice grace motivated by love. Here's what he says. Above all, first and foremost, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, just... Personally, I don't like the translation earnestly because that word really doesn't mean earnestly. It means with passion. The King James says fervently. So, (coughs) excuse me. He says, above all, here's the love. Keep on loving one another earnestly, fervently, passionately. And here's the grace. Since love covers a multitude of sins. grace motivated by love. Love love motivated grace covers a multitude of sins. Um, That word there is plethos. It means uh, a fullness. As many as there are, uh, a multitude, a throng of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now the implication is, excuse me, uh, that we are to, the more we love, the more grace we have. So if I mentioned to you I have three grandkids. No? All right. Hey, I have three grandkids. Let me tell you, if, if we, had our, we had our grandsons spend the night with us last night. That's why I'm groggy, okay? But we had our grandsons, two of them, spend the night with us last night. 
It didn't happen, but I had to get on to him about four times to stop kicking the ball in the house. It didn't happen by God's grace. All of our lights are still intact, okay? And nothing's broke much. But had they done that, I would, that my love for my grandsons would have covered that, right? Because I love my grandson more than I like the light in my kitchen. That love, I can cover it. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, if we love one another with a fervent, passionate love, then when we are wronged, love can cover that. Now here's a caveat to that. You can't cover a transgression that flies in the face of God's word. We're, we're called not to do that. In those cases, if someone is flagrantly sinning, we can't just say, well, never mind, forget about it. The Bible doesn't let us do that. Galatians 6.1 says, If a brother is overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's our obligation. We can't use this passage in Peter to be a cop-out. We have to confront sin. If someone does something that disrupts a relationship between two people, well, love can't cover that. Because if, if, if it does cover it and that relationship is still broken, then these two brothers and sis- this brother or sister or whoever it is, is not loving their neighbor as themselves. We, we need to make sure that that happens. But here's what we can do. If someone, if someone steps on your new shoe, you can get over that. If someone says something that you don't like or you don't approve of, you know, we're, we're given the right to say something about it, but if they're, not, if, they're, if they're just ignorant in it, well, we can just say, forget it. We just forget it. You know what I'm talking about? Participation. Somebody do this, okay? That's good. Our love for our brothers ought to supersede anything that is a grudge, anything that has been done to us. Jesus did that. Do you think, do you think Jesus really appreciated Can I just tell you this? Do you remember back in John 13? You know, that's where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, right? It's also where he said, love one another as I have loved you. This is a, a new commandment that I give you. Have you ever thought that he knew whose feet... Do you believe he knew whose feet he was about to wash? Yeah. You know who was, he was going to wash Judah's feet? The one who in just a few minutes was going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver? And he washed his feet anyway. Peter, within 24 hours, was going to deny him three times to the point of cursing. And he washed his feet anyway. The other disciples fell asleep when he asked them to pray. And he knew they were going to do that. But he washed their feet anyway. It is right for us to love in spite of being wronged. I wish I had time to preach through 1 Peter chapter 2. That's an incredible text. Um, But that's your homework. Okay, Read Read that. But grace motivated by love. Now, now God, can I just say that's something that we can do that God can't do? Wait, what? God can't just say, it's okay, forget about it, we'll just move on. 
He can't do that. Because he has said the soul that sins will die. And if, he's, and if he decided one day to say, let's just, let's just never mind, then he has let that sin go, and that person didn't die, and he has broken his own law. But that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus. He can't just sweep our sin under the rug. He can't just say, ah, forget about it. When we sin against God, it has to be paid for. That's what forgiveness means. It's to release someone from the obligation of repayment. Jesus released us from the obligation of repayment because he, repaid, he paid our debt. Amen. We don't owe a debt anymore. God poured out, in, in Isaiah 53, it tells us that all of our iniquity was laid on him. All of it. And God poured his wrath out on his son. Now there's no wrath left for me. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you're not a Christian, <coughs> if that stirs your heart, I want to challenge you to, to believe the gospel, to put your faith in the Son of God who came and loved and died and took our sin on himself so that we could stand blameless before God. Amen. So... As I take note of the clock, I do note that I need to hurry. But the third thing, as we anticipate the second coming, let's care for one another with joy. Is what he says here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Grumbling indicates that you don't have joy about it. When we can joyfully show hospitality, that's a mark of a genuine Christian. You know, Jesus said there in John 13, 35, he did say that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the word hospitality is a really interesting word. It's a combination of two words, philo, which is love, and xenia, which is a stranger. It's not pronounced philoxenia, though. It's pronounced uh, philoxenos. And uh, that's, that's just how Greek works. But it describes one who loves hospitality. If you, if you heard the term that floats around these days, you're a xenophobe. That means that you are afraid of people who are not like you. All right? Well, this word hospitality includes people who are not like you. But we're to show hospitality. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to show hospitality because some, not knowing, have entertained angels. So I'm not totally sure what all that means, but I can tell you this. The hospitality is a requirement for a pastor, but it's not just for a pastor. The pastor sets the stage, the pastor sets the tone, and the pastor gives an example. But hospitality is given to all of us. Romans 12 says to, to give to the saints and show hospitality. <coughs> it's something that we do. Hebrews says that we have entertained strangers. You know what a stranger was, though? A stranger was not the guy that you meet at Walmart and you bring him home. No. Peter wrote, Peter wrote to those who were exiled because of persecution. He said, take those brothers into your house and care for them. You know, there's a difference also between entertainment and hospitality. You know that, right? When we entertain someone, if you were going to somewhere to be entertained, like just outside of my house, if you were going to a theater to be entertained, you would be looking at the people who are entertaining, right? 
So, in, so entertainment is focused on, if you come to my house and I'm going to entertain you, the entertainment is focused on me or my facilities. But hospitality is not. Yeah, there's some overlapping things there, but hospitality is focused on the one, on, on the person who comes into my house. We're not focused on me. I'm focused on you. That's hospitality. That's hospitality. One of the big differences, if I'm trying to be hospitable versus entertaining, you might find a dust bunny in my house. You, you might be able to do this somewhere with a white glove, and it might not be perfect. But you know what? That's not the focus. The focus is ministering to who, whoever needs ministry. Now, I don't, don't leave here saying, well, that crazy man, he said, just go uh, have anybody in the world stay with you. No, I did not say that. You got, God gave you a brain and he gave you logic. You need to use that. But when a brother or sister is struggling, we need to be hospitable to them. Amen. We need to be hospitable. <clears throat> And fourth, and this is the last point, let us, as we anticipate the second coming, let us use our gifts in serving one another to the glory of God. That's what he says in verses 7 through 11. As each has received a gift, you know what that implies? That if you're a Christian, you have a gift. He says, as each has been given a gift, you got one. <clears throat> use it to serve one another. Not to exploit, but to serve. In humility, serve. With joy, serve. Not grumbling. As good stewards of God's varied grace, a steward is a caretaker. Uh, God's given you your gift. God's given you your ability. So that, so that, And He expects you to use it in the way that He has designed it to be used. Now, not every, I'm not going to go through what I would love to go through with you, but I need you to read 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 and see all of the gifts, and one of them is yours probably. If not, close your eyes and think, man, if I could just do anything for the kingdom, what would it be? And what comes to your mind, pursue it. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong, just because you want to doesn't mean you're called to. Because if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, you were not called to the music ministry. Okay? And if you're a harsh person, you weren't called to a hospital ministry. But those things that you love to do and those things that the church says you're gifted in, pursue those things. We do each have a gift. Uh, And we're responsible as stewards to use our God-given gifts to serve one another. Also, <laughs> uh, he goes on to say, whoever speaks, can I just put in here, whoever has a speaking gift, <clears throat> as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So what does that mean? Well, if you have a speaking gift, you need to use it responsibly and soberly as one responsible for presenting God's Word well. When you present God's Word, you have to remember it is God's Word. It is not your Word. It is God that that gave us Scripture. And Scripture is is of no private interpretation. 
Does that ring familiar? <coughs> and as we preach or as we teach or as we exhort or as we review, we need to do it with, with the fact in mind that this is God's Word. Uh, if you have a serving gift, you ought to serve to the best of your ability with joy and give credit to God for your ability. Because it is God who has gifted you and you have a gift. Give glory to God for all that He does in and through you. And I think that's in this last verse. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When we serve... Serve because God has called us to serve, not because we're trying to exalt ourselves. Serve because we're trying to to humbly serve the Lord. Giving glory to God, not taking glory to ourselves. That's blasphemy. But giving glory to God for everything that God does in us and through us. And let me close with the last line of this verse. To Him, this is the doxology. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.